seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to the Marketing Essentials Podcast. Our unique team helps small businesses grow by providing essential marketing expertise. Hi, and welcome to the Marketing Essentials Podcast. Uh, I'm Justin with Justin Kerr Design. I'm Alicia Piazza with Custom Marketing Solutions. And I'm Bill Palmentier with W. Palmentier Photography. And together we make up the Marketing, marketing Essentials, Essentials team. team. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's still kind of lame. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Come on, we ate. We should okay. have a little more energy. I know, I know. <laughs> Food sugar's kicking in. Um, well, welcome to our podcast today. We're going to be interviewing Chris Butler from Newfangled, and we're going to be talking to him about a website audit process that he has developed and refined. And Chris, uh, you keep changing your title there, so I don't know what you're calling yourself now. You used to be COO, and what, what is it now? None of it matters. None of it matters. Okay, all right. It's, all, it's not like they got to change the nameplate on the door, right? No, there's no door. There's no, there's no, no door. Okay. Um, no, te- uh, technically my title right now is Chief Design Officer. Um, but honestly, I, I really don't care about titles. I mean, you know this from from back when we worked together. Right. I just, you know, a, a title is useful in, in so far as it communicates to other people what you do, um, whether it's a colleague or a client. But other than that, like, I don't know. Once once you've once you've interacted with somebody, uh, you know, you you kind of figure out what they do and what they don't do, and the title becomes meaningless after that point. So I changed my title recently because someone else in the in the team needed a, cha- a title adjustment, oh, okay. and what their title needed to be was would be confusing if I had my old title. So I changed mine. Gotcha. All right. I guess that's why I just refer to you as the dude. <laughs> the dude abides. The dude abides. Okay. Um, so the reason that we wanted to have you on the podcast is um, obviously, you know, you and I worked together for a long time. Um, I find just the way you think and the way you process things fascinating. And the process that you've come up with to audit websites, to audit your clients' websites, um, I think is just tremendous. And so wanted to have you on talk a little bit about that, um, you know, like where it came from, how did it evolve um, you know, what's the, uh, what are some of the major benefits to your clients taking them through this audit process? And, um, you know, what are some of the challenges? So that's, those are the areas that we'd like to cover today. So what, I'm just going to let you run with it because I know you, <laughs> you can just take this. Um, and we may have some questions along the way, but uh, just give us a little backstory on where this came from. Sure. Uh, well, I can take it all the way back to when you and I worked together and the firm was uh, a, a standard web design and development shop. So we would work with all kinds of different organizations, clients to both design and build a website, um, ideally for marketing purposes. We had a bunch of clients that were a little bit outside of that, even um, on the retail side, uh, e-commerce driven. But for the most part, we were looking at firms that were using content to generate uh, you know, new opportunity for them on the site. That was the, the site's main purpose. And one thing that we really, really struggled with for the entire history of the firm when we did that kind of work was getting our clients to understand the perspective we were trying to impart to them um, and respect it all the way to the end. 
what, what typically happened is we'd bring a new client on and we'd say, hey, this is the vision for the site. And everyone would be on board. There'd be enthusiasm across the board. But as we worked with them step by step to the point of launch, that would erode predictably. It was always that direction. Yeah. And, and typically it was in the context of design, um, both uh, in creating wireframes and prototypes, as well as the actual visual language that Justin would work on and then marrying that visual language to the information design and the structure. And what always happened in that process is that all of the best practices, the strategic approach, the point of view that we had that the client shared at the beginning of the project would eventually give way to aesthetic preferences that the client had, um, dreams that they had for how something ought to look and feel to them. Um, yeah, I saw this just, thing on another website and we want to do that. Mm. Yep, uh, yep, envy. <laughs> envy of, of competitors or um, possibly even a misunderstanding of something that they saw on the web that they thought was really sexy uh, but really had no relevance to what they were trying to achieve. Um, most commonly, we would work with uh, advertising agencies and other design firms and they would always be looking at competitors' websites and saying, gosh, I'm really impressed by that. I'm, I'm totally drawn by, in by that. I think it makes them look smart and rich and accomplished. So I, I should do the same thing because perception is everything in that world. And time and again, we would say, well, listen, the way they go about doing new business development is completely different from you. They don't do content marketing. They have a completely different agency network to depend on. That The whole context might be different. And so for you to do as they do, uh, doesn't make any sense because you're looking for a different uh, a different uh, reaction from your audience, a different outcome. So in any event, what we would see is that tension where fundamentally speaking, if I can just make it as big picture as possible, and Justin, tell me if this rings true to you. At the beginning of a project, most of our clients uh, understood their need because they were brought in around fear. They were worried about the future. Are we going to sell what we need to sell? Are we going to gain the right kind of opportunity? Are we going to bring in the right kind of attention? Um, and once they started to get the plan solidified around them, they became more and more confident and lost sight of that initial uh, reason for, for beginning this engagement. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's and, a, oh, uh, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated process. You know, taking yeah. somebody through, you know, the development of a website. So it was very easy for them to sort of lose their way, you know, and not be able to stay focused on the bigger goals and, you know, putting, aiming all the strategy at those goals. You know, you just get caught up in the minutia of the prototype, you know, the wireframe and the aesthetic design and everything. And it was, it was, it was difficult at times to help them maintain that 30,000 30, foot view of like, hey, look, guys, this is where we started, remember? And we want to keep these things in sight all along the way. Right. Well, not only that, but what would end up, uh, I think, coming into the light was this sort of basic idea that people have that good marketing and good design are mutually exclusive. That in order for the right kind of marketing outcomes to happen um, and, and the right kind of sort of tactical and even strategic approach from a marketing standpoint, you have to sort of um, let go of what you would otherwise consider good design. And, and that's completely untrue. Um, but I th I've seen that time and again, that there's this belief that ultimately one's going to have to be sacrificed for another. Um, and so when, when the reason you see or the, uh, what, what that leads to is somebody starting to pull back from the commitments that they've made strategically to allow some aesthetic preference to come forward. Um, and so 
that's really where this audit process came from is that, you know, the business changed. We stopped, we have stopped at this point doing design and development for our clients. What we want to be able to do is give them um, the vision and all of uh, a bunch of technology and some other consulting services. That's really what Newfangled is about today is, is digital marketing consulting. But we want to give them that package while also giving them as much autonomy as possible to build, to, to design and build a site that they want. Right? So, so the question... I was just going to say the question is, yeah. how, how do we give them that autonomy most responsibly? How do, we, how do we allow them to have the most creative freedom on the site, but also ensure that the site does what we believe it needs to do, which is generate new opportunity? And that's what the audit is about. The audit is supposed to expose the strengths and weaknesses and give them a very detailed uh, roadmap for moving forward with a site completely on their own. Yeah, I was about to ask. This is more than just a roadmap. I mean, it uh, serves multiple purposes. Um, a roadmap, certainly, but also sort of an accountability tool, you know, uh, in the relationship between the client and, and Newfangled. Yeah, and the client and themselves moving forward. Um, so, you know, biggest picture, what the audit's doing is I'm looking at uh, four different categorical perspectives on how design and marketing marry together on the website. And within those four categories, I'm looking at individual things that I, I can measure and evaluate. There are about 16 individual measurable factors, and each of those factors has its own subrubric. So we get down to about 57 individual measurables. Um, and the, the whole purpose there isn't necessarily to be um, aggressively detailed. The, the purpose is to be able to identify all the things that we know discreetly are going to impact the, the possible success of a website so that the client can understand, okay, what, what can I control here and what can't I? So as Justin pointed out, what that means is that they can go into a project knowing exactly what holes they need to fill or um, what they need to do differently. They might redesign and rebuild a website and come out with something extraordinary and really solid. But then the question becomes, well, what happens six months later? Mm. Um, you know, uh, are they going to be able to nurture this thing in a way that is still connected to those original best practices, those original, um, you know, shared goals that both Newfangled and this team have? And so the, the system that the audit is built around, it, the audit is one manifestation of the system in that it's a thing that I can run as a routine um, and have a, have a client site come back with the score and then we can go through it point by point and they understand what needs to be changed. But this system can govern any design decision made moving forward. That, and I don't have to be a part of that at all. They can take the system and use it on their own. Oh, that's, that's great. I mean, that's certainly forward thinking and, you know, it helps that you, they have something that will scale, you know, as their site evolves, as their business grows. Right. So 57 points. I mean, if we had three hours, we'd probably walk through every one of those, but <laughs> maybe you can just give us the, the big picture, the four main categories and talk a little bit about how those relate to the strategy. Sure. So, okay. So let's talk about the philosophy that undergirds this audit and the system. Um, what I call this is a prospect experience design audit, and I'll get to what I mean by prospect experience design. But I guess what we want to do first is make sure that we have a shared understanding of how to think 
about a website? Like what is a website's purpose in 2018, especially on the marketing side? So again, what we're not talking about here are entertainment websites, um, journalistic uh, websites, um, uh, what else, uh, you know, uh, retail consumer, uh, retail websites. Like this isn't this, there are, there are truths in here that are going to be relevant to nike.com, but fundamentally that's not what we're looking at here. We're looking at, we're looking at websites that are created to share expertise from one, one business to a customer. Um, so it's, it's B to B generally, um, B to B, uh, expertise driven services. So, um, if you are a knowledge worker, so to speak, and you need to generate opportunity, that's kind of what we're talking about here. It sounds like it's a really, really small category, but if you think about it, it's an enormous one. So, sure. um, so it just, that's a important proviso. So how do we think about the website? Well, especially for advertising agencies, creative firms, those types of organizations, the website has to be more than just a thing of beauty, right? It has to have a purpose, a measurable purpose. Right. And that is to have that measurable impact on a business. It has to generate opportunity. Somebody has to be able to say, hey, that business that we closed, which is worth X dollars, it ties back to this content initiative on the site. And so you can make that happen. That measurable impact can be achieved um, if you adopt a permanent system of design accountability, right, to keep those goals and the activity that you take later on in sync. And so I mentioned earlier that I'm looking at four categories. Those four categories are the bedrock non-negotiables of that accountability system. So let me let me go through what those are and I'll pause here and there so you can ask questions if, if you have any. Um, so when, sure when we'll you think plenty. about the website because I, I'm used to talking about this and talking really fast, so I'm aware <laughs> of how, how quickly and uh, I'm gonna move through this, so tell me to slow down if I need to as well. When thinking about the website, right, it's really helpful to organize our thoughts into these four categories because each category is gonna provide a different perspective on the goals that you have and the actions that you can take to achieve them. So what I mean by that is that they're going to help you answer questions like, well, what should the website do or how should it work or what should it look like? How should it be created? That kind of thing. So those four categories are strategy, aesthetics, usability, and practicality. And I'm going to go through and define each one and give you at a high level what um, what aspects of the site these four categories govern. Um, but I want to pinpoint aesthetics first and foremost, because I think that's the one that tends to carry the most emotional weight to it, especially when I'm talking oh, yeah. to clients. It's the most subjective. Aste well, right. And in this case, what I'm talking about is the most objective version of aesthetics possible, um, which is the, the the manner in which visual information is used. Um, so, and, and this will become a little bit clearer when I define this category more fully, but the reason that I look at these four categories in this order, strategy, aesthetics, usability, and practicality, is because think of it as a spectrum on the left strategy and on the right practicality. On the left, you have the goals, right? Strategy is about what are we trying to achieve here and generally how are we going to go about achieving it? And then all the way to practicality, those are the specific all the way down to the ground level actions we take to make that strategy happen, right? So goals to action. Aesthetics are unique because they bridge that gap between goals and activity because the visual choices that we make affect both how a brand is perceived, that's that qualitative emotional um, response as well as how information is communicated. And that's really key. It can be really easy to overemphasize the emotional weight of aesthetics and underemphasize the, the objective cognitive impact that visual information has on whether or not a, a message has been communicated 
properly. Mm. So that's why aesthetics are really key to this whole schema. Now, again, each of these categories provides that unique perspective by describing common elements, right, that we all understand and prioritizing them. Um, so that means that some elements within this four uh, category system are more important than others. It's not a flat system. For example, without certain strategic components, which I'll talk about in a moment, the site's going to lack any ability to create new opportunity, right? Just won't have that functional grounding. But with the right strategic elements, even a poorly designed site, honestly, like a poor user experience, won't be enough to prevent the website from having some measurable marketing impact. And so that's why the strategic components, which we'll spend the most of our time today talking about, are always going to be more important than even the usability of the site when it comes to the way that I audit these sites. That isn't to say that, you know, usability isn't important or even aesthetic components aren't important. But I've just seen this time and again, and I've measured too many sites to know that if you can't capture engagement, um, it doesn't matter how beautiful the site is, but mm -hmm. if you have a beautifully designed site and you can't capture engagement, it doesn't matter, right? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, uh, no, I've, seen, I, I've, I've absolutely. seen a lot of functional ugly sites. Uh, Craigslist <laughs> comes to mind. Great, great point. Yeah, although one could make a case for beauty in Craigslist, and that <laughs> again, that's the difference between subjective aesthetics yes. and objective aesthetics. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll come back to that because I I, I actually want to stop there because Justin um, has exponentially more experience with that. Uh, philosophical and practical question than I do. You've been practicing design way longer than I have. Um, so I want to hear what you have to say about that stuff. So like I said, every element across these four categories is going to have a, a measurable impact on the website on, and how it's discovered, how it's understood, how it's used. Otherwise, it would not be in the audit. So if you can visualize this, and I'm a really visual thinker, I like to picture things in space and that's how I remember things. Imagine that each category, well, imagine your website is uh, sort of like the, the sun, right? And all these other things are orbiting around it, mm -hmm. right? Imagine that each category is a layer through which your prospects have to work to get to the sun, right? To get to the light, um, your website. So before they can take the actions you want them to take, first they have to make their way through that outer aesthetic layer and then through the technical choices you've made, the practical layer, and then through your understanding of design and whether or not something communicates properly and all the things that affect usability. And then they get to the strategic components that actually make engagement work. So it's sort of radiating out that way. Strategy on the inside, then usability, then practicality, then aesthetics. That's how perception works in this particular context. Now, among these four categories I mentioned are about 16 unique measurable elements, and they're all distributed, not evenly. Aesthetics have a couple, practicality's got about four, usability has way more, and then there's about there's four strategic components as well. So all of these components together are either gonna make this process of perception, proper perception and action taking, either easier or more difficult for your prospects. And that's why it's really critical to understand these properly. You guys tracking with me so far? Yes. <laughs> yes. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been a All sprint, right, so but yeah, we're tracking. <laughs> it's like a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Well, get ready, Bill, because I'm about to unleash all the detail. Oh, no. No, that's okay. a good thing, I guess. <laughs> so I said... I said I want to share with you which each of these are. So let's go through them just at a very high level, and then we'll talk about basically what we're looking at when we measure these, and especially paying more attention to the strategic stuff, because I think that's where the greatest impact is had on reshaping somebody's idea of how a marketing website can and should work. So there are 16 elements. Strategic elements, there are four. Number one, message. Number two, structure. Number three, insight. And number four, engagement. So what do I mean? message, structure, insight, and engagement. So message, 
ask yourself this, is what you do clearly articulated on every page of your website? So there's, there's, specific, uh, there's like a specific architecture to the way you express your positioning in the marketplace. But what I mean by positioning is, um, can you define what you do, right? That's kind of traditionally thought of as horizontal positioning, the what, and who you do that for. Who are you best served to help? That's right. vertical typically. Um, and, and so uh, most knowledge workers have uh, very little trouble defining their horizontal positioning, um, where they tend to struggle with focus or specialization is on a vertical because there's a concern um, about being vulnerable to market forces. What if that area of the market, the market takes a hit and then I'm screwed because I'm stuck there. There's concern about being bored, um, especially with creative individuals. They say, well, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a design professional, but if I focus on manufacturing, then I'm going to be stuck there with cogs and gears for the rest of my life. And, and you know, what's the fun in that? Um, same thing goes, you know, for any other vertical you might focus on healthcare or law or uh, education, nonprofit space, something like that. But regardless of what your positioning is, it needs to be articulated clearly, um, and have some corresponding elements to it on every single site, uh, page of the site. And mm -hmm. so I, I want to come back to that because I want to show you exactly what I mean, but let me first define all these things. Okay. Structure. When thinking about the structure of the site, this is information architecture at its highest level. And what we're asking ourselves here is, do the pages of the site intentionally guide prospects towards taking the actions that you want them to take? And this is critical. I'm going to come back to this in a second, but this is what I mean by prospect experience design as differentiated uh, from user experience design. We have specific things that we want prospects to do, and we don't want them to do other things. And we need to design our pages accordingly. Number three, insight. This is pretty straightforward. Content marketing is a pretty known concept uh, probably to your audience as well. So the question here is, does the website contain a robust and growing repository of content that attracts, informs, and engages the right prospects? And again, I'll, I'll talk about what that means in terms of structure and design of the site. And then finally, en engagement. This is where it all comes together. You can have the most beautiful website in the world. Uh, it's planned perfectly. The structure is impeccable. Um, the insight is uh, ext extraordinarily good. You know exactly what you're talking about. The competence is high. But if you don't have a way to engage with prospects and let them uh, touch base with you, let them take specific actions and the ability to measure those actions, nothing matters. Right. 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 Nothing matters. So all what this comes down to is forms on the website, forms to let people contact and take actions. Is the website supported by a diversity of smart calls to action? that progressively gather, score, and categorize prospect data within uh, uh, customer relationship management and marketing automation systems. So it's really specific technical stuff that needs to happen in order for you to properly govern the data that your website generates. Right. That's the strategic column. Well, we Any were, questions about that stuff? Well, we were actually, in a, in a previous podcast, uh, we were talking, with, talking about social media marketing, and uh, we had Alicia course on our team but we also had a guest social media marketer on who's an expert in LinkedIn and we came down to the fact that you know they call it social media because it's social and the engagement is at the core of that so you want to engage your audience and you want them to engage with you because that turns into them taking action on whatever service or product you're offering and in the same way the website it's not this static thing. It's not just this uh, online brochure. You want your audience to engage with you. You want to give them ways to engage with you because you want them to take action. You want them to, you know, buy your product, uh, 
purchase your service, whatever it is that you're marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and even more than that, uh, especially in the marketing context, you want to know who's the best fit, right? And so when I talk about something like progressively gathering and scoring and categorizing prospect data, um, progressive profiling is, is a term that's thrown about in the marketing automation space. What that really means is um, gathering information over time about the prospect that, that, be, that helps you to define whether or not they're a good fit. Right. So it's it's asking questions through different touch points that give you a better sense of fit over time. And it's just the stuff you need to know. We're not being invasive uh, for the sake of uh, just knowing more. We, we're asking for only those things that we know are going to help us better uh, categorize the prospect. And that it t- typically is done over time. It's not like you have one big Uber form where you say to somebody, hey, if you're, if you're a prospect, <laughs> tell me all these things and, and we'll yeah, figure you, it out. No one would ever fill it out. Exactly, exactly. So we're looking for, you know, um, over the lifetime of of someone's experience on your site prior to becoming um, an actual uh, contact or or an actual lead, um, you know, can we ask them through gated content, through subscription forms, through that sort of thing um, for, you know, all the different fields that we might need to know. And with our clientele, it tends to be anywhere from like 12 12 to 20 fields typically, Um, you know, anything from... Uh, the title to the type of organization they are to the size of organization, their location, um, their typical budget for that type of work, um, you know, their familiarity with um, ways that uh, someone might define their expertise, et cetera, that, that sort of thing that just gives you a better sense of, hey, is this person worth following up on or not? Yeah. Um, it allows you to evaluate fit. If you liked what you heard on today's podcast, you can check out our other podcasts on marketingessentialsteam.com. We have a podcast page where we published all our previous podcasts. You can also subscribe to them on iTunes. You can check out uh, more information about us on our Facebook page at Marketing Essentials Team. And uh, you can contact us through the Facebook page if you Mm -hmm. have questions about anything related to marketing or photography or social media or uh, design and branding. Yes. Uh, We also have a Facebook group, a, a private group, Um, that you can um, uh, apply to. And that has to do with marketing as well. But I'm going to let Alicia explain a little more in detail about what that is. So you can find the Facebook group at Little Roadie Marketing Support Group. And it's basically, it's a community for local businesses, small to medium businesses, and other marketing professionals to kind of just have an ongoing conversation where we can post about, businesses can post about their marketing struggles and challenges, success stories, and then to kind of um, converse with other local marketing professionals and get some advice. And yeah, it's a it's a great community. It's uh, it's fun to see some of the the wins that are happening on a weekly basis for certain businesses, and yep. also to be able to help each other out. Um, mm-hmm. So it is by uh, it is a closed group, so you would have to ask for permission. But as Alicia says, we don't turn away anybody. So. As of right now, we'll let you in. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, Justin touched on the podcast. You can see the podcast uh, through our website. But if you're one of those people that likes to listen in your car as you're driving around, uh, we also have the podcast available through iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just look for the Marketing Essentials team and you'll find it there. And we'd like to give a shout out to our venue host today, which is Rooms and Works. They're a co-working space in Providence, and you can find them online at roomsandworks.com. Until next time, I, uh, I guess it's time for us to say goodbye, right? Yes. Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> <I get> tongue, <laughs> tongue-tied. Can you just, until next time. Bye. 
See ya. See ya. Thank you for joining us for part one of our podcast with Chris Butler of Newfangled.com. Be on the lookout next week for part two of our conversation with him. In the meantime, if you're looking to listen to some of our previous episodes, please check us out at marketingessentialsteam.com.